Anybody have like a, like a neighborhood skunk? We have like a neighborhood skunk. Yeah? Like you're like going to bed and it's like, so last night, you know, it's like seriously like 3 a.m. all the time. And I'm like sleeping and I'm dreaming of like bunnies and angels and it's so wonderful. You know, and all of a sudden the devil shows up and it's like, and I wake up and the whole room smells like skunk. And it wasn't the dog, you know. And, and my wife goes, did you leave the bathroom window open? And I go, well, yeah, it's hot, airflow, you know. Well, we have this skunk. And I don't know what the deal is. Every time it must walk by our house, it's like, just right at us every single time. And I think it's because, you know, my dog tried to attack it. Well, it's probably attacked it a few times now because you get sprayed all the time. But a couple weeks ago, the cat's in the tree, the dog's out, ah, and here's the skunk on the thing. You know why? Skunks look like cats. So they're evil. That's how it works. But anyway, so I got this thing. So I had, I just, man, it was 3 a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep. <sighs> skunks. Skunks. <laughs> I'll make, make skunk cookies. I'm going to make. Put it on the spit. Anyway, uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Sorry. Okay. Uh, there. There are Bibles in the back and under some of the seats. If you don't own one, you can have one. We'd love for you to take it with you so you have a copy of the scriptures. If you forgot one, you can use one. On all the communion tables throughout the room, there are sermon notes, and they kind of look like this this week. They're like uh, little half sheets, and I would encourage all of you to grab one, okay, because we're going to give you something that, go- that goes with these that you need to take with you this entire week, okay? So if you didn't grab them, I was like, I'll get it on version. It's not really in version. It doesn't come out right in that. So if you need to grab one of these because it's really... One person, really. Two people. Okay, come on. <laughs> Seriously, uh, Chris is in the back last service, and someone's getting up, and she's all, two, please. I'm like, really? Really? So, anyway, so grab one, because this is going to be really important for what you do the rest of this week, what's on the back of this. They're really simple notes. They're not very long, but it's kind of important. So, stay on me, reading to God's Word. We'll get started here. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as your people and have us understand what prayer truly is and what it means. That we wouldn't pray just empty words that mean nothing, but we would actually pray words that honor you and we would speak to you and our relationship with you would grow deeper and stronger. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we at this point are over halfway done with our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is week 27. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the longest straight teaching narratives of Jesus ever recorded in the scriptures. Uh, I thought originally we'd get done in 24 weeks, but ha, 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 right? Lo and behold, this is actually going to go all the way up until Christmas Eve when we kind of finish this off. And I don't think it's because I'm so long-winded. It could be, but I don't think so. You know, it's because Jesus packs so much stuff into this, and I think we could really spend the rest of our lives figuring this out and living this out, which in one sense, we probably should. So over the next uh, few weeks, what you're going to see is Jesus' focus on prayer, his view on prayer, what it was for, what it meant, how his followers were supposed to engage him with it. Today might even be one of the shortest messages I give you throughout the Sermon on the Mount, because uh, I want this very practical for you, so you can walk out and have something to stay focused. It's why the notes are the way that they are. And just to set this all up of where we're starting today, a lot of people have been asking us questions about what's happening with the property we bought and the building and moving or staying and all that. All of your questions are about to be answered, actually. Starting next week, we're going to be rolling out this stewardship journey that we're going to call Planting Roots. 
is a logo of what it looks like. Uh, Planting Roots is a five-week journey. Actually, is going to start in September, but we want you to have these journey guides we're doing ahead of time so you can look at them and what's coming. Uh, these journey guides are going to take you through five weeks of daily devotions. So if you never had like a daily time where you get up with God, they're nice and short, ask you a question, give you a verse, but it's a nice way to kind of learn to start doing that. We have a family section where you can do it with your families and your gospel communities. We have a, some questions for teens. It's kind of to make it so we can all be on the same page moving the same direction because we want to corporately and individually ask God, what do you want us to do in this process? And so for the next two weeks, we're going to hand you out information on this journey, uh, everything you need to know from our needs to the vision to where we're at. You'll even in this thing get some architect's design of what we think the building might even look like. I mean, when you're in a room like this, it's very hot. We will have air conditioning. The glory of God has shone down upon us in three years. Okay, so, you know, there's that. Uh, uh, it is hot and crammed. The kids' rooms are usually really packed. Uh, we've actually had people come and leave because either there wasn't a seat for them or there wasn't enough room for their kids. And we don't ever want anybody to walk away from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ because of something like that. So it's, it's not about, you know, building us a bigger building. It's about being able to take and have the home and have a, have a permanent home because this is not ours. This whole thing has been sold, and we've got to be somewhere by the end of December 2016. We don't want any surprises. We've been kind of alluding to this for a while. And so we're going to do four weeks on prayer. The last week on prayer is going to start that stewardship journey. Then the last four weeks of that stewardship journey is all about stewardship and treasure and trusting God for all things. But it needs to start with prayer. It has to start there to make any sense at all. So if you can actually be here for the next seven weeks, that'd be awesome. So anyway, but today we're starting with this idea about prayer, that prayer is foundational. Uh, Prayer is centered around many places in the scriptures. And I'm actually going to have you memorize one of these this morning. All right, you excited about that? Okay, so about half of you. The rest of you feel like, I feel like I'm going to school. So this is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I'm going to put it up here. And here's the easy verse. Pray without ceasing. I thought you could handle that. Okay? So, so what, what's the address? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. What's the verse? Okay, one more time. What's the address? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. What's the verse? Pray without ceasing. You guys sound like, like a cult because you're like, pray without ceasing. Death to the infidels, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so, I know, yeah, I should never say that. Sorry, I'm sorry. So anyway, we're going to take it off the screen, and here comes the hard part. What's the address? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. What's the verse? Pray without ceasing. Thank you. Woo! I don't think that's in the Bible, but whatever. You can add your tag on it if if you want to. So the question becomes, how do you actually do that? How how do we live that? Because you read that, and it's in the scriptures, and are we thinking maybe it's a nice little thing Paul put in there that we'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'll just write there and pray without ceasing. But how do you do that? Well, you have to understand first that prayer is always connected to these deep truths about God. The formal name for one of these deep truths is the doctrine of God's omnipresence. That means that God is always present everywhere. He's right here, right now. You and I can actually talk with him right here right now he is with us everything kind of hinges on our understanding of this living life in the kingdom of god means we can actually live like the sermon on the mount calls us to a life with peace and righteousness and hope and joy and confidence and boldness and wisdom and guidance and so often people settle for a life without jesus a life of insecurity and anxiety and isolation and fear and aloneness but i think jesus wants us to live a life full with him and so how do we actually do this prayer 
Prayer is how this starts. It's one of God's great desires for us. And because it's one of his great desires for us, he puts it all throughout the scriptures. I mean, we went through the book of Genesis, ended about a year ago. It took us about a year and a half to get through it. If you want to go back, you can listen to those messages. But you get kind of early on in the story of Genesis. It took us a year and a half, so probably like nine months in for us or something like that. You run into this guy named Jacob. Uh, Jacob's grandfather is a guy named Abraham. God shows up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Abraham has a son named Isaac. God makes the same blessing. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And then Jacob comes. And Jacob does not start off as the greatest guy in the world. Okay? you got Jacob. He's the younger brother of a guy named Esau. Esau is a very manly man. Uh, he is covered in fur. We call this hair and it's all red. So Esau is like a big red angry Chewbacca who's a hunter, okay? Jacob, though, he is very smooth-skinned. He's kind of a mama's boy. He doesn't like to work. Probably loves the Bee Gees and driving around in his mom's VW Cabriolet with his Michael Bolton wavy hair flying in the wind. You know, that's, that's Jacob. Jacob, like I said, is smart but dumb at the same time because he deceives his father and betrays his brother to get the birthright. And he does this with the help of his mom. Now, Isabaka, he is like a very manly man. He's very strong, right? And so he can rip like a man's head off without breaking a sweat. And so he's like, I'm going to kill my brother who just stole my birthright. So Jacob has to run away from home. Now, the question in here kind of becomes for us, what is going to happen in this? When you read throughout the scriptures, I always tell you this. Who are the scriptures always about? Jesus. It's always about Jesus. So what's actually happening in the text is Genesis wants you to start wrestling with the idea. When Jacob leaves his home, when he's going to where he is going, will God go with him? Because at the time that Genesis was written, it's making a point to God's people. They're wandering around in the wilderness. Every people that they run into have their own little tribal gods. You go to this place, this place, this place, and they got gods or gods. they got a whole lot of them. And so when you go somewhere else, you have to find those new gods. And you got to worship those gods and figure out what those other gods are. If you left your place, you, your home, you would leave your gods, have to go to a new place and get new gods. And so this is what God is going to address. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is running from his home, and this is where this kind of starts, where God is going to reveal himself and show him who he is, and that God is omnipresent, that this is an aspect of who he is. Genesis 28, starting in verse 10, says this, Then Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place. And it says a certain place because it doesn't matter what place it was. And stayed there that night because the sun had set. Now, Beersheba and Haran, these are important things, and the scriptures are not just random names. He's going from Beersheba, which is his home, to Haran, which is not his home. And Beersheba and Haran mark the boundaries of that, from home to not home. And this is where the first readers of the story would look at this from other cultures and say, Oh, well, is God going to go with him? Is God going to be there? He might have to get some new gods. Will God actually be there? Now, when my wife and I got married, I was born in California. I love California. I was actually, you know, born here, raised here. I think God is in California. I mean, maybe not in all the politics and craziness, but God's here. My wife was born on the East Coast. She's born in New Hampshire, went to school in Wisconsin. She moves to California. She was not born a California girl, but she loves California. She loves being here. That's Amen. So as soon as we get married, right, we move to Iowa. And the question becomes for us, is God in Iowa, right? So we moved to Iowa, and I'm happy to tell you, okay, God is in Iowa. He's not happy about it, right? But God's in Iowa, okay. So this is the story of Jacob. Jacob is leaving his home. And again, this is God's story. It's always a story of God's grace. Jacob has in no way earned God's presence or favor. And it's at this crisis, at this moment, that God reveals himself. 
At this point, nobody in the world is thinking of an omnipresent God. Nobody understands it. So this is what happens. Genesis 28, verse 11, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head, uh, which can also actually mean in Hebrew around his head to protect him in case somebody attacked him. Um, under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Verse 15, behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. This is the first time that promise is uttered. I am with you. First time in the Bible that's said. And there is this ladder. Now, in the NIV, it says stairway. So apparently Led Zeppelin read the NIV or something when they wrote something. But anyway, this old song called We're Climbing Jacob's Ladder. But none of that is true because Jacob doesn't climb the ladder. The ladder is there to show that God is coming here. This is a vision of a transcendent, holy God. And what does he say? I'm the Lord. I'm the God of your father, Abraham, and of Isaac. And I will go with you. This is a God who comes here. And the idea of the story is not that we have to go to special places and do special things to be with God, but God is with us in the average, ordinary, certain places, no matter where we are, of our lives. And what Jacob does, he takes a stone and he names the place Beth-El. Beth-El, this means this is the house of God. The word El comes from the Hebrew word for Elohim, which means God. Anytime you see that word El somewhere, like El Shaddai or Israel, it comes out of calling upon God. Beth is the word for house, so Beth El is house of God. When Jesus comes, he is known as Emmanuel, that is God with us. Jacob gets renamed Israel, one who struggles or wrestles with God. And the beauty of what is happening here is we are being told that any place can be Bethel. This moment right here in this place can be Bethel. You can go to lunch. That place can be Bethel. You can go home today. That place can be Bethel. And so what we're going through today is I want to show how this can be reality, talking about God and prayer and bringing this all together, starting very practical. And on your notes, we've got all of these things we're going to kind of walk through. And I don't want you to think I'm brilliant and creative. I heard like three people do this, and I thought it was brilliant. So I stole it, and I figured you guys could learn from it because it would be amazing. I steal things to help you. Bless God. Whatever. Okay, okay. So, and this is how you make every day your tomorrow's ordinary days that you spend with Jesus. It's something for regular people. It's not for mystics and monks and hermits and Jacobs. You don't got to do something heroic. You know, being with God does not mainly mean doing things you don't ordinarily do. It means doing things you ordinarily do, maybe just in a different way. It is a way of learning how to do every ordinary day with Jesus. Prayer is communication with God, living every day with him. So we're going to put all these things on the screen as we walk through them. And so you can see all the stuff you'd have to do normally anyway and how to actually do them with Jesus so we can pray continually without ceasing so they're not just words. Like when Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, don't do it like the hypocrites. Don't use empty words. Use words that actually mean things. So the first thing you got on your thing is it's a, it's a pillow. It looks like this. It looks an awful lot like my pillow. And so when you go to bed tonight, you are going to see a pillow. Most of you, probably. Well, and it's not yours, look for somebody else's, but there'll be a pillow there. And this is where you're supposed to look at it and think about doing the day tomorrow with Jesus. And see, in the Hebrew mindset, you know, the, what they did is they saw your day beginning when you laid your head down at night to go to bed. We think of day beginning at sunrise. It was for them, it was sunset. You see all this all throughout the scriptures in Genesis, you know, Genesis 1-5. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. It doesn't start with morning. It's evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning. That's how it's set up. There's a consistent theme in that. It's a reminder that God is running the world. God doesn't sleep. And quite honestly, God gets along just fine without us. This is where the Sermon on the Mount starts. It starts with God's blessing of you and I. 
And so it starts in that blessing, then it goes out into everything else that we do. So turn to the person next to you and say, the world will do okay without you. If you struggle with depression, you're like, oh, oh. But it's a reality. I mean, God has brought you this far. God will take you out. I mean, we put so much pressure on our own shoulders when God himself is the one who is sovereign. So we are the ones who trust him in that. And so every day is God's day. So you see that pillow, all the worries and all the pressures, just kind of give them up to him and say, God, thank you that I am alive this day. And I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to trust you. Your day starts with God. The Sermon on the Mount starts with God. Your day starts with him. The outcomes of your life were not meant to be this burden that sits so heavy upon your shoulders that you can't function. You let them go. Because trust me, tomorrow morning when you wake up, they're all still going to be there. You're going to have to deal through them. Proverbs 3, 24 to 26 says, If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet because you're trusting in Him. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. That is another way of saying all the way back to Jacob when God says, I will be with you. And there's nothing Herculean about this at all. You have got to go to bed tonight anyhow. So tonight, this one day, just go to sleep with Jesus. Okay? The next thing that's going to happen is in the morning you're going to wake up. For some of you, this will be an amazing moment. It's going to be like snow white and like, la, 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 and the birds are singing. They lie on your arm. It's a wonderful day. Because there's two kinds of people in the world, right? You know, those who, who love to get up in the morning and those who hate people who love to get up in the morning. So as a symbol for this, what we've got is got an alarm clock. It's a horrible name for it, right? Because it's like, what does the alarm clock say? Bad news! Alarm! Right? Like, oh! So tomorrow, we're going to call this like a good morning clock or embrace the day clock, whatever you want it to be. But you're going to wake up with these words. Psalm 118, verse 24. I want you to read that. You sound like monks. Let us rejoice. And you can wake up and be like, this is the day that God has made. I'm going to rejoice in this day. It's not yesterday. Well, that was a good day. Things are better. It's not tomorrow when all my problems go away. That'll be a good day. It's this day is a day that God has made. Today, I'm going to realize that this is a God-made, God-redeemed day. And in that moment, when you wake up, snooze, you know, three times, whatever, you be, God, you're with me. Because this can be Bethel. This day right here, you are Emmanuel, God with me. I'm going to rejoice in this day. And I know some of you struggle with anxiety and depression. And you'll probably have to claw your way back and forth in that to being pulled back into that and realizing, no, no, this is a day that God has made. But you know what? You start with him talking to him. You've already invited him to go with you through it. So begin to leave it more and more in his hands. Because you're going to have meetings and tasks and issues. Just pray, Jesus, go with me. And so after you wake up, what's the next thing you do? Hopefully. Right, brush your teeth, clean up, that, that kind of thing, right? If not and you're single, could be why you're single, okay? Just letting you, letting you know, all right? So what we're going to do, we're all going to do this tomorrow. You're going to get up, you can take a shower, you're going to use some deodorant, you're going to brush your teeth. It's a good thing to do because, you know, when you go to bed at night, certain things happen. We don't know what they are, but we wake up and we stink. I don't know why, you know, especially your breath. You may not think so, but other people around you have noticed, all right? So, so the next thing on there, this is a picture of a toothbrush. And again, up in the morning, you're going to start cleaning up a little bit. You know, in a, in a similar way, sometimes when you sleep, certain things happen in your soul and in your spirit. You have some dreams. You wake up kind of anxious. And so you're going to start right there. You start to brush your teeth and wash your face, exfoliate whatever you're going to exfoliate. <laughs> that works. You invite God to be cleansing your soul. 
Okay? Psalm 139, verses 3 and 4. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous, that's the word offensive, way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So start of the day, brushing your teeth. God, you know, cleanse my soul. You know, show me these things in me that I need to be trusting you for, right? So it's not, oh, I got to sit down and bow and pray. It's, you're just brushing your teeth and you're praying every moment of your day with God. I mean, you start thinking about these things, you know, all your anxious thoughts like, oh, this is going to be a hard day. You give them that. Or, God, in my mouth, I always want to say things that promote myself, you know, that make me always look better. You give that to him. You've got to clean up anyhow, or at least you should be, okay? You've got to clean up anyhow tomorrow for that day. Cleanse your body and your soul with Jesus. Just start that way. The next one, this is a cell phone. We're going to use this to stand for relationships, relationships, because you are going to see people tomorrow or talk to people tomorrow. If you're a hermit that lives in a hole, you're going to be on Facebook tomorrow. I don't know if hermits in Facebook. I don't get it, but whatever. Okay. And so when you start to greet people in the day, that can be actually really important. So how are you going to do that? So tomorrow you greet people with Jesus. That's how you do it. Now, it doesn't mean you get all hyper weird and spiritual. Oh, holy Jesus, Trinity, bless God, bless you. Good morning. You don't do that. That's just weird and awkward. People don't know what to do with you when you're like, like oh, okay, you know, what, what do I do with that? You know, this is from the writer of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27, verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. <laughs> what great wisdom from the Bible. It's like, you morning people, just turn it down. Okay, just turn it down. Great wisdom from the Bible. You don't have to bless loudly. Okay, really what it's saying to you is that when you greet people and you see them tomorrow, you say, God, help me to see what you see. Help me to see your image in and on that person. Because this is somebody that you love, so teach me to love them too. And then when your phone rings tomorrow, because it's going to ring, answer the phone with Jesus. Again, what's it like? Uh, there's this really old book by a Benedictine monk. His name is Benedictus Domino. Right? Kind of, I know it sounds like God send me a pizza, right? But that's not what his name means. His name means it may be the Lord. Because in that tradition, what would happen is there weren't, uh, like a thousand years ago, so there's not a whole lot of hotels. And so hospitality was very important. You invite people in, you give them a room, you would feed them. He was so hospitable that they named him after how he lived. It may be the Lord. Everybody he ran into and talked to, it may be the Lord. And so when we talk to people on the phone, it's not just, yeah, yeah, I get on with it, right? It's it's being available. When the phone rings, we say, it may be the Lord. This great verse in Hebrews 13, 2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Ascending and descending Jacob's ladder. I mean, Jesus says, when somebody gives to and serves the least of these, somebody who nobody else notices and nobody cares about, when you notice them, you've done that for him. So we pause and we say, it may be the Lord. So you simply say, you know, God, help me with my attitude when I'm with people tomorrow. Because you're going to have to answer the phone anyway. Just do it with Jesus. The next one is a set of car keys. Because we're all probably going to drive somewhere tomorrow. What would it look like if you were to drive with Jesus? Kind of funny. I know, right? You know, if Jesus were in the car when you're driving, would the expression on his face be like, what the? Are you doing? You know, he wouldn't be worried because it'd be like car wreck. He'd be like Red Sea, you know, just right across. He'd be, he'd be good. But, but, you know, I think this is why Paul says things like pray continually. Whatever you do, do everything in Jesus' name. I think Paul begins to think about this. So what would it look like if, you know, to make your car Bethel, to understand that can actually be the house of God? could be sometimes you're silent. could be sometimes you're actually talking to God while you're driving. Maybe it's playing music that you love, whether it's worship music or any kind of music that brings joy to your soul. And you thank God for it. You connect all of these dots. God, you are the maker of beauty and something as simple as how I'm driving. 
I mean, I don't know if you noticed, there's been a ton of accidents the last few weeks. So I was looking at statistics. 35,000 people die in car accidents in America every single year. And it's usually because somebody's in a hurry or somebody's mad. Maybe driving with Jesus means that you leave your house earlier and you're not in a hurry. You're not always trying to text while you drive. You drive with Jesus. A couple more. Actually, three more. Uh, This is a computer. Now, this stands for work. Uh, I own a computer company, so there you go. You know, it makes sense to me. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, this is the idea that tomorrow we all have to work. You might be in an office. You might be at home with kids. You might be doing volunteer work. You may or may not even get paid, but it's all work anyway. So tomorrow, you don't work on your own. You work with Jesus. And so what does that look like? This is what Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Paul says these words, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So, whatever you do, what does that include? Whatever you do. If it's right there, it's like, ding, ding. Okay, so whatever you do. And then work heartily means you work at it with all of your heart. So if you went to work and Jesus was actually your supervisor at your job, would you work differently? I mean, me, I would show up on time. I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. What, what do I got to do? I have a great attitude. I try to be diligent. I try to be totally creative. If he was my supervisor and if I got stuck, and sometimes I do get mental blocks and I get stuck, I feel inadequate, I would go into him and I would say, you know, Jesus, what do you think about this? Can you help me with this? Can you, can you, you know, give me guidance in, in this area? And that's something that we seem to always forget, that every moment of every day we can go and we can talk to him, that he is there. He is with us. He is God with us. I mean, maybe you have a cranky coworker. Maybe you are the cranky coworker. Okay, it could be either one of those. And in that, you just say, "Jesus, help me." And all of a sudden, your work now begins to be something you finally begin to talk with God about. Jesus becomes part of what you do in your work life. You can do it with all of your heart. And when you're done at work, you leave it behind and you go home. So the next one is this little icon right here, because it stands for leisure time. You know what the number one leisure activity in America is? Watching TV. There you go. So it's a remote control. So you might think, well, I need to be spiritual. I'm not going to watch. I'm going to do a day with Jesus tomorrow. No, you do your ordinary, average day. If you normally watch TV, then watch TV. You just do it with Jesus. You know, watch it with him. And when something comes on, talk to him about it. Maybe Jesus is like, you should turn the channel. You know, no one should watch Glee, okay? Just turn the channel. <laughs> that's a reality show. You know, you can't watch that. You know, I don't know. But you talk to him about whatever you're watching. Hey, that's really funny. Oh, that's really dumb. Oh, you know, just... Talk to him about it. Maybe there's a news story that comes on, and it prompts you to pray. God, you know, please be there in the middle of that and do something about that. Maybe you go home, and the first thing you do is you read the newspaper. Well, read the newspaper. Just read it with Jesus. You see some, hey, God, that's a cool thing right there. Thank you for that. Or you see some hurting place in the world, and you say, you know, Jesus, can you do something about that? Our government is a total mess. Can you please do something about that? You just talk to him about it throughout the day. It's very simple. It's very practical. And the last one is this bottle of stain remover. This is Clorox bleach stain remover. I could probably get sued for using their logo, so it's trademarked. Trademark Clorox. There you go. Hopefully that solves it all. Um, and we're going we're to use a cross, but I thought you guys might forget what that meant. So, ooh. So, yeah, uh, so we did Clorox stain remover because tomorrow you are going to mess up, okay? And so will I. There are going to be times that we forget uh, what Jesus has called us to, that we stretch that we say things we shouldn't say, that we do things that we shouldn't do. And you're going to feel defeated. You're going to start to feel like you failed. So tomorrow, what you remember is above all of that, that Jesus is the remover of our stain and of our guilt. You do not have to live in defeat because he is the one who has won the victory. 
Now, when I was growing up, uh, I was a really slow eater and I was a messy eater. I loved the dog when it was in the house because I could, I could wrap, like, you know, the vegetables and meat and go here and feed the dog so I didn't have to eat my vegetables. But even when the dog wasn't in the house, I always had this pile of food on the floor around me. My mom would always say, how in the world do you get the floor so messy when you eat? And honestly, I don't know. It just happened. But that's kind of like our lives. I mean, we just kind of go through life sometimes doing some things, and we look back, and we just got a mess around us. And there's two great truths in this. Number one is that Jesus isn't always looking under your chair for the mess. But the second thing is more importantly is that he has removed the stain and the guilt of the messes that we have made. And he calls us to live redeemed lives when we trust him and we follow him. In John 3.13, Jesus is talking about a guy named Nicodemus. He's talking to him, and he talks about he himself ascending and descending from heaven. And Jesus is using this to point back to the idea of Jacob. What Jesus is saying is, I am the God who has come down. I am Emmanuel, God with you. I can be the one, no matter where you are, can be the house of God. On the cross, Paul says that Jesus loved the church so much, he gave himself up for her to present her without blemish, stain, or wrinkle. That this is the idea that he is our stain removal. I, I think that, that there's no better way to represent this than doing baptisms, which, again, we will do in, in like two weeks with these baptisms. And if you've never been baptized and you call yourself a believer, you should be baptized. I was talking to a guy last week about this, and, and he's like signed up for the class and then didn't go and signed up for the class and then didn't go. And he goes, well, I just, I just really think I've got to get more things straightened out in my life before I get baptized. Like, really? You get in the pool like, I finally got it figured out. God, now I will get baptized. No, baptism is I am a total mess. And I realize that Jesus is the one who has come and redeemed me and removed my stain. And though I may mess up and though I may screw up, he is the God who has saved me. And so that is represented by you going under the water like Jesus was buried, coming out of the water to live and walk in new life. And if you've never been baptized, Jesus calls us. You know, one of the first things we're supposed to do is get baptized. There's a baptism class right after this service. And if you go to the class, it doesn't mean that you're obligated to get baptized. But if you've been thinking about it, go to the class. Sit through it and then figure out, you know, should I actually get baptized? We, used to, we even have a children's baptism class. If you're, you know, kids are in like, you know, elementary school and stuff, at 1245 today, kids baptism class. You know, because we want to do this thing that Jesus calls us to do, to live in a way that shows that Jesus has removed our stains and our wrinkles and our blemishes. He is our sin forgiver. He removes our stain, and we're going to do life with him. Now, so if you take that with you, that, that card, and it's funny, I found like three of those on people's seats after last service. Don't do that. Don't let me down, right? I mean, if you look at that, it's really practical, right? I mean, because it's not about, oh, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to bow down and, oh, holiest God, thou is this and that. No, it's what are you doing? It's every single day simply living it with him. And so Monday night, when you see the pillow and you start to go to sleep, remember, God, thank you that you're with me. You got me through another day. Thank you that you have forgiven me, even when I messed up. And then you invite him to go with you the next day. Because I will tell you, if you can learn to spend one ordinary day with Jesus... You can spend every day with Jesus. It just kind of starts like that. It's, I mean, sometimes we, we've taken these concepts and we, we've tried to make them so high and lofty that they've left the realm of average, ordinary lives. And that's not it. It is, it is every day, everything you do, talking to him about it. Living your life as you are going about. And, so, and Jesus will sometimes say, you know what, you need to steer away from that. You know, your life needs to shape over here. And, and he'll talk with you through those things. God's spirit will prompt you. He will convict you. He will lead you. He will guide you. But this is the idea that we learn to spend every single average, ordinary day 
with him, talking to him about everything that we go through. I mean, this is one of the reasons that communion is so important, that we come to it every week. You mean you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in, you, in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. This idea that he has removed our stain and our guilt, we can now have a relationship with God and relationship with each other again. What is separated from us and each other and us and God has been dealt with by him. And that means we can actually begin to live every moment of every day with him. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing that he gifts us with and calls us to. The band's going to come up. As they do, they're going to do a couple songs. We invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, I mean, maybe you're in a, you're in a place in your life where you don't even understand how this would even begin, and you want a little more information or to just talk through that a little bit, they love to pray with you and talk with you. Uh, so go and, and pray with them. About doing every day with God. Because, you know, sometimes, I'll tell you, we, we try and put so much crazy language on how we pray and the things that we say. And, I, I mean, sometimes people are like, oh, I can't pray. I, I, would, I would sound stupid. Not to God, you wouldn't. God knows what's going on in here. He knows what you're trying to say. You don't have to be like, oh, the blessed God, Holy Spirit, thou hast come to thy... It's like, oh, no, you didn't say the Holy Spirit three times, so it's not going to listen. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. You know, he's... <laughs> That's not how it works. It's you being you, talking to the God who has saved you and allowing him to lead you into the places that he's calling you to be. We trust him in that. Uh, there's offering boxes inside wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. Some food and stuff in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat. Hopefully, in doing that, you will meet somebody else. Invite them to lunch or dinner or you know, sign up for a gospel community and kind of talk about those few little questions on the front of those sermon notes. And maybe, you know, what, what does prayer mean to you? What has it meant in the past, but what does it mean now? And what would that look like to actually begin to live every average, ordinary day with Jesus? How does that work out? How does it look? What words do we use? You know, what things do you normally do in a day? What do you wake up and what's your first thought? I got to brush these teeth. Holy cow. You know, I mean, what is it? And how do you begin to do that with him? Because he wants us. And once we start doing that, I think all of our lives begin to change. Because we actually are listening to him and talking to him. He's guiding us in all the things he calls us to. So why don't we be a people who are going to do every day with him? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us and teach us, especially this week as we start to hopefully try and do this, to do every moment of every day with you. And there will be moments where we forget and we mess up, we say things or do things we shouldn't do. But have us remember above all of that that you have removed the stain and the shame from our lives. And that you don't want us to live in a place of shame, but you want us to live in a place of hope and grace and redemption and life. So I ask that you would make it something that your spirit convicts in us. That we would see every moment as a way to spend time with you. To speak about those ordinary things that we are going through and those things that we are doing. And that we would trust you in them. That though we will have a lot of anxiety, because there's a lot of anxious things that happen in our lives. But even in that, we can talk to you about that. And trust that nothing has come to us that has not been sifted through your hands first. And we can trust you to be sovereign over all things. Teach us to be a people who live day by day by day with you and the communities that you have placed us within. We thank you for being a God who has saved us, who has revealed yourself to us 
that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. Every day, every moment, we thank you for all of this. And we pray these things in your son's gracious and good name. Amen.